BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to another episode of Sci-Fi Wire's Behind the Panel, the audio documentary series that celebrates everything about the world of comics. As we all continue to follow the stay-at-home protocols, Hopefully this podcast gives you a few minutes to clear your head and think about something that puts a smile on all our faces, comic books. And if this show sounds a little different than usual, it's not your ears playing tricks on you. Instead of being inside our usual studio, we're coming to you from the Avila Recording Studio inside my house. Spoiler, it's not really a studio. So sit back, relax, and listen as we bring you another great conversation. Today's guest is Tom King, the multiple Eisner Award-winning writer behind The Vision, The Sheriff of Babylon, Heroes in Crisis, and of course, Mr. Miracle. Oh yeah, and he also did that epic and controversial 85-issue run on Batman. He's now off doing some strange adventures, a maxi-series with his comic bestie Mitch Garrett and Doc Shaner, and he happens to be as big a comics fan as you'll find in the business. Let's nerd out with Tom King. Oh, thank you for having me in the midst of plague. It's very nice to be here. How's uh, Casa King holding up? I have three kids. I have 11, 9, and 5. So it's a lot of homeschooling. (laughs) Which one's homework has made you feel dumber? Um, They all make me feel... Because with the five-year-old, he's learning to write his letters. And I'm like, I write my letters completely wrong. (laughs) So like, even he's doing things I don't understand. The 11-year-old is making me feel dumb because he suddenly got really into comics because he's stuck in this house. And there's only so many entertaining things, but there's my room that's full of infinite graphic novels. So he's going through my collections and he's like, Dad, who drew Contest of Champions? And I was like, I don't... I don't know. I just John Romita Jr. Now I know. Which blew my <laughs> mind, right? Wasn't Contest of Champions like 70 years ago? How is John Romita Jr. not an old man? John Romita Sr. is still around. You can go to John Romita Sr.'s house today. Your son is reading Contest of Champions. That is a well-raised nerd right there. Oh, yeah. That is an easy sell for an 11-year-old. Was there ever a time where they drafted a bunch of teams and just fought each other? It's like, yes, it's called Contest of Champions. They're like, yeah, I'm in. Easier approach than like House of X or something, you know, or Age of Apocalypse. What are you reading as comfort food? Most recently, I reread Peter David's X Factor, both the funny run from like the turn and the noir run, which I think is brilliant. I just started Invasion, the Keith Giffen Invasion thing, because I realized I never read that thing back in the day. I'm reading Los Bros Hernandez, because I just never caught around to that. So I'm reading a lot of Love and Rocket stuff, trying to fill in some gaps and also like read inspirational kind of stuff. I'm reading with my five-year-old, we're reading Calvin and Hobbes. We just finished reading Peanuts and now we're doing Calvin and Hobbes. When I really want to relax, my most nerdy thing, I read a lot of Star Trek comics, especially from the Peter Krause stuff. There's nothing at stake. And I don't know, just like, it's just a complete escape. Late 70s, early 80s is like my 2 a.m. diner food. Yeah. I just read some old Avengers and there's a John Byrne Marvel team up trade paperback that I have. Once I sit down with that, I'll read the whole thing cover to cover. Oh yeah, the Marvel 2-in-1s with the thing in them, that stuff to me is super comfort food. Comics are told a lot differently now than they were back then in terms of like the sort of post-Bendis decompression era, you know? So if you're telling a story with 20 pages without a lot of words, it's hard to make that a good meal. 
comic books pre-2003 or something had a lot more captions in them in terms of describing what was in the panels. They had a lot more of third person, like a typical Roger Stern comic would have, you know, Green Goblin on top of a building and it would be like, Green Goblin looks out at the night and he smells the fires of this. All of that stuff where you would actually write like a novelist writes, where you'd write descriptive stuff in the panel. Nobody does that anymore. And so when you take that stuff out, all you have is the dialogue or the interior monologue, which a lot of people do. And then the problem is the reader can go through really, really fast. You're a big convention guy. I would imagine the fact that the convention circuit for most of 2020 is basically off the books, I would imagine, is painful for you. It is legit painful. I went to C2E2. You had the gloves? I didn't get sick, so God bless the gloves. God bless everyone at C2E2. I mean, I must have seen a billion people and I didn't get sick at all. So they were washing their hands and keeping to the rules. And I appreciate all the nerds who followed all the rules. But I was like, okay, I better buy some crap because I might not have another chance to buy crap. And I didn't buy enough crap. I miss getting stuff. I miss hanging out with my friends, my nerds, and my miss, just, yeah, all of it. The cons experience is so important to me. We'll be back with more from Tom King right after these short messages. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Behind the Panel. Let's return to my conversation with Tom King. We're going to talk about strange adventures here now, but I want to ask you, are you seeing yourself more and more moving towards a body of work where you only kind of want to work on maxi series and out of continuity type stories like this? Yeah, I mean, that's all I'm doing right now. After I finished Batman, it was like six months ago, I totally transitioned to this new part of my career where I'm just working on these three different books, Batcat, Strange Adventures, and the mystery book that hasn't been announced yet, which was supposed to be announced at WonderCon or whatever. You know, Who knows if we have cons again, we'll announce it. And they're all 12 issue series, which are complete stories. I love doing them. I do fear that after sort of doing these three, I don't know, there's something missing. There's like sort of want to challenge myself or something. I don't know. Like if I just keep doing these little novelish things, am I putting myself in a box and repeating myself. I don't know. Maybe I'll try to burst out of it in some ways. I was really impressed by what Hickman did with the X-Men books and doing that thing where they overlapped and they underlapped. And that'd be a cool thing to copy too. Hickman and I feel like the exact opposite writer and I read his stuff and I was like, oh, you're breaking every rule I would ever. And I love it. I think it's very interesting. Hickman, I feel like he takes heroes and he raises them into gods. They start off as sort of normal people. And as you read it, they become more and more infinitely powerful and they become sort of these things above us that kind of look down. And it's amazing and it's transcendent. And I do the exact opposite. I take heroes and I squish them down into poor little people where they're just like, oh, what am I doing? You know, I'm eating from veggie trays and crap. You know, it's like we just sort of pass each other in the night. I find his work and then that whole world to be utterly fascinating just from a point of view of like he writes a story and then he'll just stop in the middle of the story and put a prose piece and be like, here's the stuff I don't want to explain to you in the story. And then he'll continue. And I was like, you can't do that. That breaks the comic book rules. For now, the most fun I have making comics is making it the way I'm with these three 12 issue series. Strange Adventures 1. I like how you're looking at the line between myth and reality as a theme in the book. Talk about developing that theme and why that was important for you to explore in the story. 
Mitch and I were going back and forth on sort of what kind of story we wanted to tell. And it was, I don't know, at the height of the Mueller investigation when that was going on. And it's like, I want to write a story about people lying to you. Because I just feel like a lot of people in government were lying to us. And I want to write about the difference between lies and truth and sort of the seeking of truth. We were looking to how to tell a story. Mitch came up with Adam Strange and immediately saw it in my head as like, oh, there's two stories to be told here. There's that story of like the super adventurer of him living this life. And there's the story of what the reality of that was. And sort of the distance between the myth of, you know, the hero who goes off and solves all our problems and the reality of what sort of colonialism and all that stuff is. And to do with two different artists, I was like, oh, I can do that because Doc and Mitch are best friends. And that's sort of how it developed. It was this idea to look into the idea between sort of fantasies of what we have, because I feel like all our fantasies are being crushed constantly. What we thought our country was, what we thought our safety was, like all these myths I had growing up as a kid, I'm just throwing out the window each day. And I want to write about both the myths of them and what it's like to lose them. Could the book have worked without having the two artist model? No, no, it couldn't work with that. The magic of the book is from how they contrast each other. Not to mention that Doc developed a lot of the story points in the past stuff and he's really contributing to it. It's one of those books that couldn't exist without its form and the form couldn't exist without the book. So the point of the book is the contrast between the two stories. I've dealt with basically three themes so far. And the first one was sort of that trilogy of Omega Men, Sheriff of Babylon Vision, which was the idea of like a naive guy going into a place trying to fix something and then it all going to hell and him sort of seeing how complicated it was. And then like the second thing was Heroes in Crisis, Batman and Mr. Miracle, which were sort of about the idea of like you suffering from sort of the trauma of your life and you turning to the people you love to sort of fix it. And now it's like, okay, I want to launch into a different theme with these three books. To my surprise, they're much angrier books. They're not about like sort of love and family, which I've been writing about for the past five years before this. This feels more like a 1984 or, you know, like post-World War II George Orwell. There's something nasty about these books. What I'm basing it on is sort of like the film noir movement, which followed World War II. when it's like five years out, and we kind of realized that the world we were building wasn't a great world. How far along are you writing Strange Adventures? Do you have the whole 12 issues laid out? No, because I wrote the one I haven't announced as complete, so I've been focusing on that. Everyone's drawn, everyone's turned in scripts, we're still going. The current situation that we're in, this pandemic, and also the way the government's been reacting to it and their response to it. Can you see that influencing how you craft the rest of the story? Oh, 100%. I just turned in an issue last week and I was halfway through the issue and I was like, okay, I'm taking a swerve and I'm going to take on this because I feel like movies and TV shows are all stopped now because it takes social interaction to make those things. Comic books are not stopped. They stopped selling them, but we're still making them so that when the other side of this, you have an incredible amount of product. And I was like, well, we can move a lot faster. Like I was talking to a TV producer today. It's like, we got to take advantage of this and come with a show. And I was like, great, two years from now, we'll talk about this. But I can make a comic that's about this moment right now, and it can be for sale in three months. And so, yeah, Strange Adventures is swerving towards that. The paranoia and the idiocy and all that stuff of this time. And this just oppressive being trapped in our house. Yeah, that's all going in. It's turning Strange Adventures into something even more relevant. Strange Adventures was always about this idea that there was this invasion on another planet that was devastating and tore apart the entire planet, but they managed to repel it. But it did horrible damage to their entire society and changed them as a people and turned them into a different kind of people, which is who Alana is and who Adam is coming out of that war. And now the idea was this thing that came to Ran is now coming towards Earth. So when I'm looking at that and writing that, I'm like, oh my God, what I'm writing about is this is about people who see something that hurt another culture and it's coming towards them and they're making preparations for that. And I was like, this thing is just a metaphor for where we are. Now that's probably me putting my reality on my story, but it just seems like it's in the perfect place to tell that. Did you always have Mr. Terrific in mind to be the guy who shows up at the end to investigate Adam? Yeah, it was always going to be, I wanted it to be like Billions, where it's sort of like there's two protagonists and they were fighting with each other, you know, when you see from both sides. That's the way the book works. 
issue one is about Adam, issue two is about Mr. Terrific, issue three, and it just goes back and forth to see the different perspectives. So I needed another protagonist, and uh, yeah, Mr. Terrific immediately came to mind. I always liked him because he's underrated, and he's underappreciated, he's the third smartest person, which is kind of an insult to him. And I love that description, the third smartest, not even the second, he's the yeah. third. <laughs> I put this in Heroes in Crisis, when he gets interviewed, he talks about like, sometimes when you lap two other people, it seems like you're third, but you're actually a lap ahead of them. <laughs> so like, it was always supposed to be Mr. Terrific. I think he's the perfect person for this. He's cool. You got any news for us on when we're going to actually see the second issue? No, it, it was printed. So I have comps. So they exist in some diamond warehouse. So it exists. It'll come out. I talked to Jim for a long time about sort of all the, you know, he's got to think about 30 different angles on this thing in terms of number one, comics won't succeed if the stores die. So you have to find a way to make the stores live. And number two, we have an audience that wants material. You know, we have a bunch of people sitting at home and it's our responsibility as entertainers on some level to provide them with entertainment. So it's balancing those two priorities. You mentioned Jim and, you know, he's sketching something every day for the next two months, a different DC character to raise money for the comic shop. Give me the character that you want him to draw that you're going to go crazy on. Jim, I would either go two ways with it. Jim's a huge Legion of Superheroes fan. So I would do Ultra Boy's probably my favorite Legion of Superhero character, the original one. Or I would do Star Trek because Jim's a huge Star Trek fan. He's a huge Trek nerd, yes. And so I would do original Trek, draw like Bones, Spock. or No, go with Kirk. He'll go all out for Kirk. That's my secret of getting artists, man. Find what inspires them and what you have overlap in your Zen diagram and go for that. I think you weighed in on the DC Marvel crossover hashtag that Gail Simone started up. As a fan, what DC Marvel crossover would you like to see and what creative team would you like to see do it? Oh, man. Okay. You put me on the spot, huh? I want to see Jason Aaron and Jim Lee do Punisher versus Lobo or something. Yeah, like some like space Punisher. Yeah, like I want to see Jim do Punisher again as written by Jason Aaron. Like two guys that just, yeah, like that kind of stuff. I want to see Jim draw Marvel again. My thanks to Tom King for interrupting his homeschooling sessions to talk with us. And if you liked what you heard here, we've got lots more episodes of Behind the Panel podcasts already released and ready for you to dive into. All you have to do is subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. Simple. Then head on over to YouTube and subscribe to the Sci-Fi Wire channel to check out all our great comic book videos. And don't forget about my weekly column at SciFiWire.com. Big props to my podcast team, executive producer Matt Romano, producer, composer, and editor Paul Terry, mixer and master Dave Draper, and I'm your host, Mike Avila. Next episode, we'll talk to the co-creator of Ms. Marvel in the Kraken sci-fi adventure, The Invisible Kingdom, G. Willow Wilson. Be safe, be smart, and be good to your neighbors from at least six feet away. <laughs>